Auburn's Weagle 91.1 FM presents The Scoreboard with your co-hosts Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. Follow them on Twitter at Jacob Hellman AU and at Bay underscore Marks. Now let's take a look at The Scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome into the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM or streaming at WeagleFM.com. I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks as always. This is how you always want to spend your Thursday evenings. Bay, how has your week been so far? Well, um, it's been okay. Uh, got a huge W Tuesday night over Eagle Eye TV in the Weagle versus Eagle Eye game. Love getting that W. That was a strong effort. Um, and then this morning... Got a little hiccup with a finance exam. Nah, that's tough. Nothing you can do about it now. But now, like you said, the most comforting and best time of the week, the scoreboard. Well, we are going to jump right into it. We, we got W on Tuesday night, but it was Sunday night, the L, that that, that, that was the most painful this week. Auburn fell to Miami uh, by about 18 points uh, in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And that is how the historic season comes to an end. Yeah, it was, you know, looking back at it, when you really go back to the first game that Auburn played in Greenville, which was last Friday against Jacksonville State, uh, in-state foe in the state of Alabama, um, this was a game that a few people were like, watch out, a two versus 15. Oh, a two had already fallen to a 15, Kentucky losing to St. Peter's, of course. Um, but that game, really after the first 15 minutes of game time, Auburn kind of settled in, uh, took a 12-point lead into the half, and then never looked back, won that game 80-61. to Obviously, what everybody will take away from that game is the emphatic Jabari Smith dunk. Um, so after that game in Greenville, you know, you look good. I said it in the car with you and Jack on the way back from Greenville. I said, you know, I was like, maybe this is what we needed to, to get bounced early in the SEC tournament, get our backs up against the wall and get back into a peak. Um, cause we did not think we had really peaked, um, at this point. And then it, it became certain that we had a uh, Sunday night. Yeah. And the thing is credit to Miami. I think that they put together an amazing game plan and really just play Extremely well. Isaiah Wong led the Hurricanes in scoring with 21 points on 8 of 18 shooting. Didn't make a 3, 5 for 5 from the free throw line. And he dunked on Jabari. And it was just a yeah. momentum shifting play. It was something that you never saw coming and you thought, okay, this Miami team is here to play, not just here to show up. Yeah. And, and the thing that, I mean, like you said, the, the dunk over Jabari, I mean, Miami already had a little bit of momentum. That kind of gave them a lot of momentum. Auburn just continued to fight and claw back, especially in the second half. I mean, Auburn was only down one at halftime, and Auburn d- definitely either A, should have been down by more, or B, the way they finished that half, could have been up by five. Um, so a strong finish of the first half, and then in the second half, Miami got back in uh, control of the game, and Auburn just could not fight back, lost by 18. And, and the sad thing that kind of sucks for Auburn is the fact that when you look at the box score, only one person on Miami's bench scored. Um, for them the entire game, Anthony Walker had four points and nobody else scored. It was all the starters, like you mentioned, Jacob, led by Isaiah Wong with 20, and then also his counterpart in Cameron McGusty with 20, or 21 and 20. And, and, on, and on the offensive end, you look at it, and you look at the last two losses of the season, to like say in Miami, Auburn shot the exact same from the four, 21 of 69. Looks, and, it feels like a simulation. And, yeah, and that's the thing, 30% from the four is not going to get it done. Yeah, from three, I, what, what did Auburn shoot from three? Not not good. 19.2%. Five of 26. Not going to cut it. No. Not going to cut it. Especially when your two best players 
uh, combined for what Jabari had 10, yeah, for 12 points between Walker and Jabari. That that's a tough thing to overcome if the threes aren't aren't and, aren't flying. And this was another game, and we saw this kind of down the stretch with Walker was was he wasn't as dominant as we've seen him. I mean, Texas A&M Walker wasn't really that great. A few of the losses late in the year, Walker wasn't really great, especially at Florida. Um, and then you know this game, they kind of neutralized Walker. I know Miami's been known for their defense. We've seen them beating great teams this year, like Duke at Duke and Cameron Indoor. Uh, but they really knew how to neutralize the two best players on the court that are potentially both going to be first-round picks. The, the game plan against Jabari was perfect. Yeah, I mean... They face-guarded him the whole time, and he was never able to create space. And even when he did have an open shot and a clean look, his shots just weren't falling. Free throws weren't falling for Jabari either, which isn't in his uh, character either. I mean, he was 3 of 6 from the stripe. He's normally better than that percentage-wise. Only 1 of 8 beyond the arc, 3 of 16 overall, but... Credit to Jabari. He had 15 rebounds. He kind of picked up where Walker was lacking. Um, but like you mentioned, Jacob, it just it was a great defensive execution by the Hurricanes. And it was something that I kind of expected going in that the defense would be adjusted to what, what Auburn had been doing. And I expected them to put up a fight. And that, that was scary. I, I thought, in my mind, I thought Auburn's either going to lose this game or win by 20. Well, especially in March, too, when everybody's playing their best games or, or giving it everything they have. I mean, you, you truly never know. True. Um, and, and this is a Miami team that beat a Duke, that beat other ranked teams. And they played up to their competition. The reason that they were in a higher seed is because they had some bad losses as well in the ACC. Obviously, they got to play a team that was more talented uh, in Auburn, but Auburn didn't execute the way Miami did on Sunday night, and that was the difference. Yeah, I think a big thing, too, that I wanted to point out is Friday in the second half, um, Jalen Williams goes down, gets two of his front teeth busted out. Looking and, positive here. Yeah, and Walker um, injured his elbow on that play, but Jalen bounces back, gets some dental work done. <laughs> I need to see who his dentist is because that's quick work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially just in Greenville casually. Yeah, I guess quality over quantity, but they True. they looked fine. But anyways... Um, Jalen coming off the bench, 12 points, four rebounds. Um, he did foul out because Auburn was fouling towards the end of the game, but he shot two or three from behind the arc, and he shot five of eight from the field in 18 minutes played, and Bruce made the comment after the game, which is really where I'm trying to go with this, was I'm really excited to build this in the in meaning the offense and the team around Jalen next year. I think it's such an interesting take, and obviously we don't know what the roster's going to look like. Uh, if you hadn't seen the news today, Devin Cambridge announced that he's entering the transfer portal, so there's already a little bit of roster turnover happening right now. A lot of guys in the transfer portal Auburn's looking at, including some high schoolers that maybe have decommitted from LSU and so on and so on. So we don't know what the roster's going to look like. We do know that Jalen Williams will be coming back. I, that is just going to happen. And he has been a player that has played his role extremely well over the last three years, starting from his freshman year where he didn't get any playing time until the end of the SEC play. And the season got shut down due to COVID. Then his sophomore year, he did his work as a starter at center. That was impressive to me where he's just kind of moving around. And then this past year where, obviously, Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler are your starters, period. And he's really worked his way into the rotation and done exactly what the coaches ask him ask of him. And every now and then, knock down two threes a game, that make a big difference. So yeah. I really like the fact that Coach Pearl – sees the effort, sees the sees sees the success that he's having, and that he knows that this offense can revolve around him. I think the biggest word also to describe Jalen is patience. 
I think that has been the most commemorable thing about him, like you said, was freshman year. I mean, he's one of the best players in Georgia, and he doesn't play at all till the end of his freshman year. Uh, sophomore year, he starts at center, where he's not really used to playing, um, has to adjust to that role. Auburn doesn't really have the year that they would like. And then this year, gets benched as a junior over a freshman and a sophomore um, that one has no college experience and one hardly has any over at North Carolina. And he still, like you said, comes off the bench and does what he needs to do. That's why he has been such a good team player um, for Auburn this year. And I agree. I think that's a very interesting take by Bruce. Bruce and I think it's also a good strategical marketing um, marketing plan from him by going ahead and making it clear, like, hey, like Jalen, you're our guy next year. Um, we don't want you going anywhere. You can honestly, you could afford to lose a Devin Cambridge. Not not trying to be hasty. Um, but Jalen Williams is one of those veteran guys that you want back. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like you said. I mean, he can start on any SEC team he wants. That's what I was going to say was he has a talent to play wherever, and he has shown that throughout the years. And maybe not consistently off the bench, always coming off the bench and dropping 15 to 20 points, but he does exactly what he's supposed to do in the limited role he has. I mean, he only played 18 minutes, and he was Auburn's best player on I- Sunday. This is very interesting about Jalen, too, and talking about statistics. Last year, he had a career high in nearly 11 points a game. But in his career, Auburn has shot over 50% from the floor um, and shoots over 30% from the three as a big man, only playing or only averaging 17 17 minutes per game um, at the four and five. So do with that as you will, but that that's some very encouraging stuff. And and that's what they're asking of him. That's what they're asking of him. Not it's to just, be flashy. He's going to be efficient. Yeah. And next year, if they are revolving it around him, it's still going to be the same thing. It's be efficient, but he's going to get more touches. So, yeah, the percentages will probably go down a little bit, but he's going to be efficient still while adding a bit of volume to his game, whether that's maybe another three or two a game, or that's just him posting guys up on the block. Who knows? We don't know. We also don't know what the roster makeup's going to look like. like. Like I was mentioning, the transfer portal is still very alive and hot right now. And he should be the starter at the four. I would should, say so. Unless Auburn gets the next Jabari Smith or the number one or two power forward out of next year's class, which probably won't happen, he's going to be your starting four at the least. Right now, incoming for Auburn will be, for sure, Chance Westry and Trey Donaldson, two yeah. guards. Yeah. So that's going to add a little bit of depth behind the three guards you have right now, but I think it's mostly setting them up for the future. I don't see Westry or Donaldson getting a ton of playing time next year, especially because I, I can't imagine Wendell and KD not improving a ton over this offseason. And still having Zepp and Allen. Exactly. I mean, the only guard you're losing is Devin Cambridge. And he's barely tec- – he's technically – A three. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean – You're not really even losing a guard in Devin, but – It's very encouraging. And you're, and you're bringing back Jalen. You're bringing back Dylan. Um, and you've already seen, like you just mentioned, a couple decommitments from LSU, other coaching changes around the league, which I'm sure Pearl and company are looking at in the SEC and nationwide transfer still. Um, the four and the five is going to be where Auburn needs to replenish and reload. And I don't think it's going to be a problem or anything. I think that all that Coach Pearl has to do is tell the recruits, look at what I just did. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing, too, I mean, and we – is that kind of goes without saying obviously you lose Jabari and Walker so that's two scholarships that open up plus you lose Devin Devin which is a third I don't think Preston is on scholarships let's just assume that he wasn't on a scholarship you get three scholarships open right now that you can give to a transfer to three transfers we saw what Bruce did with three transfers like four transfers last year yeah I mean 
Yeah. Like you said, look at what I did this year with transfers. Yeah. And, and look at the guys I'm putting in the league. And, and look, I don't know if it's something that everyone's going to be happy with. Oh, he's relying on the transfer portal too much. Yada, yada. I don't think it matters. Of course, people are going to be sour, sour grapes about how the season ended because it wasn't the end of the season anyone wanted. You didn't get, win an SEC tournament game. You only won the round of 64 game. But which was better than a lot of SEC teams. I, I yeah. I just think that it was a fact. I think it was just a fact of peaking too early. Yeah. It's that simple. I agree. It happens. It happens to the best of teams. But you can't let that deviate you from what worked in the past. Yeah. You don't broke what's not broke. Don't fix don't what's, what's not, not broke. broke. Yeah. <laughs> I there got you that go. backwards. Yeah. You're broken. I am broken. Uh, I think the I, I'm so I've been broken since Sunday. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, too, is, and we, we can do this at a later time, too, is also looking back at the season, just like what the season brought to the program. It brought a lifetime contract to Bruce Pearl. It brought the number one ranking in school history. It brought a regular season SEC title. It's bringing a new practice facility for the men's basketball team. And I know Auburn's been consistently good at basketball the past few years, but I'll give credit to Justin Hawkinson real quick for a break. He made a comment in an article, I believe, on, on 3 Live, something to the effect of, like, Auburn's gotten past the stage of we're good now. Now it's Bruce Pearl's continuing this right. this legacy that he's already built at Auburn. Yeah, and because there's, there, I think there's going to be multiple errors of Bruce at Auburn. You had the first error, the rebuilding process. Then you had the uh, – I don't know. I haven't thought this through about what to name him. But then you had the pro, you had this spot where you won the regular season championship the first time, go to the Final Four, and I think this season is the end of – we're, we just era. got great. Now right. it's we're consistently going right. to be great. Yeah, and now it should be. I mean, all yeah. right. How do you get back to the final four and win a national championship? And think about it. The past one. I mean, if you're going to include this year, one, two, three years, Auburn's had will have four one and duns from freshman to pro. Isaac Okoro, Cooper, J T. Thor, and Jabari. I mean, you're you're starting to get into that recruiting cycle. What similar to a Kentucky and a Duke and these blue bloods that that can potentially make Auburn a very, very dangerous team for a long time to come. And, and that's the thing. It, it, is a, it is a program that, no, it's not, it's not Kentucky one-and-done level, but it is still one-and-dones consistently through the program that are in the lottery for the NBA. Yeah, and I mean, you saw like a potential number one overall pick, what Jabari said about coming to Auburn. If I could pick again, I would choose Auburn a thousand times. One thousand times over. Big recruits want to be at Auburn. I, I'm with you, Jabari. Same here. On the other side of the break, we will keep talking about college basketball. Sweet 16 action begins tonight. We'll talk about it when the scoreboard continues in a moment. Thank you for tuning in to the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Auburn may be out of the big dance, but March Madness rolls on. And the scoreboard rolls on on WGL 91.1 FM, or if you're streaming live on WeagleFM.com, Bay Marks, myself, alongside Jacob Hillman, Daniel Locke, witnessing in studio today, welcoming you into the scoreboard once again. If you want to call in and be a part of the March Madness discussion, 334-844-9345 is the number to dial, 334-844-9345. Um, I, obviously, this goes without saying again, but this I, year's March Madness has been just bonkers. Um, yeah, with, with with what has happened with St. Peter's and and the matchups we're getting right now in the Sweet 16. I mean, um, I it's just kind of hard to 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 pick where you want to start. Talking about down. what you want to do. Yeah. Um, 
But Jacob and I, we're going to go ahead and get into the Sweet 16 and looking beyond to New Orleans, the 2022 Men's Final Four, and an updated prediction of what we see there because <laughs> him and I both, God knows that our brackets were busted after the first few games uh, last week. To say the least. I mean. <laughs> to say the least. I mean, here in studio, one of our brackets was busted. I don't want to talk about that. Um, but It would have been nice to have another team from the Midwest to pull four, but now I'm just like. Nah. I don't really care who wins from the Midwest. <laughs> Let's go ahead and we'll break down the West. Gonzaga, the one seed, uh, surviving a scare from Georgia State in the first, uh, first I'd say, 30, 25, 30 minutes of that game. And then moving past Memphis, again, another tough test. Some controversial calls in that game against the Fighting Tigers and Penny Hardaway. Um, but Gonzaga rolls on, and they are going to face the four-seed Arkansas, who won a four-point game against 13 seed Vermont, a team that a lot of people had upsetting um, a few lower or higher seeds. And then Arkansas moving on and beating uh, the 12 seed New Mexico State, who pulled a 5-12 upset. That was an ugly game. It was an ugly game. Um, so, And obviously New Mexico State, uh, their head coach, moving on to the SEC as well. Um, so Gonzaga and Arkansas, one versus four. What are we, what are we looking for? Well, this is going to be a game where Arkansas – is trying to score a lot because they didn't do that last game. And I don't, and I, listen, if Arkansas plays anything like they did against New Mexico State, Gonzaga's winning this game by 20. They need JD Note to show up. They need Jalen Williams to actually play defense because he doesn't really, I, I just, I don't know. I don't like, I really don't like what Gonzaga has shown so far this tournament. But I have not seen enough from Arkansas to say that they have a chance to win this game. This is a matchup where it's really like both of these teams, compared to what we thought pre-tournament, have underperformed. I definitely, in, in a sense, I definitely looked at this potential matchup and said, "Okay, I like what Arkansas brings to the table, especially against Gonzaga." Right now, I don't know though. I think the biggest matchup in this game is going to be uh, Drew Timmy and Holmgren uh, versus the front court of Arkansas with Jalen Williams and company. Um, as much as we hate to sh- say it here on the scoreboard, Chet Holmgren had a great round si- round of 64 game. Um, he's also a potential lottery pick. Him and Jabari Smith are one of the two who are going to be the number one overall pick. So um, for me, it's going to be a front court battle. It's going to be interesting to see what the um, runners up from last year's tournament do here in the Sweet 16 and see how far they get. Yeah. I, one thing I'll, I'll say, Jalen Williams against New Mexico State, other than his shooting percentage from the field, three for ten, he was insane. 15 rebounds, played 40 minutes, uh, had three assists, a steal, only fouled once, was 4-4 from the free throw line. That, like you said, I think I agree with you, is going to be the difference. Texas Tech and Duke, a two versus three in the West, so one through four surviving the first two rounds. Coach K and company getting a solid win against a hot Michigan State team um, who gave them a run for their money in Greenville on Sunday. In my personal opinion, um, the Blue Devils are playing a lot better than I thought they would at this point, and I, I wouldn't I be surprised if they go to New Orleans. Did you see the? I think it, it might have been Paula that tweeted. No, no, they, and they said we wouldn't get out of the round of thirty-two or, or the second round or whatever out of the first weekend. Mm-hmm. And someone quotes it was like seventy-five percent of brackets had uh, Duke in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, okay. man. All right, come on, come on, man. With that being said, what I like about this Texas Tech team is the defensive tenacity. I said I didn't want Auburn to play them in in, in March because. I was afraid of what they bring to the table and and kind of just how they match up with the Tigers. And I think it's the same thing with Duke. I think that Duke doesn't match up well with Texas Tech. I think Mark Adams, uh, with this much time to prepare for Apollo, will have a great game plan for him, kind of like Miami did for Jabari Smith. Apollo and Jabari are similar players 
tall guys that can shoot the ball. Uh, Paulo can put the ball on the floor a little bit better. But other than that, I think Texas Tech can kind of do the same thing, uh, face guard him a little bit, and really just keep him out of the paint. Don't let him get too hot from three, and they're going to be in good position to win. So out of this region, who do you have making it to the Final Four? I got Texas Tech. Okay. I still have Texas Tech winning the nat- I'm going to go ahead and say that. I have Texas Tech still winning the national championship. I, I've, I've updated my pick. I, I like Duke out of this uh, okay. out of this regional. I, I like them to go into the Final Four, especially after seeing the way they played the first two rounds and the way they just closed out a tenacious uh, Michigan State team. That's kind of what sold it for me. Uh, North Carolina, the eight seed, uh, upsetting Baylor. And that, that score is not really an indicator of what the game was really like for about 80% of the time. They, granted, they gave up a 26 or 28-point lead. Um, 25, I believe. 25, yeah, uh, to Baylor. Baylor nearly winning that game. Um, but North Carolina prevails, as good teams do, and they're going to go on to face a fellow Blue Blood, uh, UCLA, uh, who has moved past Akron and St. Mary's to get to the Sweet 16. Does, is, is this a battle of Blue Bloods, first of all? Now, what we're wondering is, does this continue the hot streak from uh, North Carolina, or does UCLA build off a dominating performance against St. Mary's with uh, Johnny Juzang finally getting back in that groove, Tiger Campbell just dotting it up from the free throw line, eight for eight from the free throw line, and he had four assists. I don't know. I want to pick North Carolina because I like picking the hot team, but this UCLA team seems too good to pick against. And I, I get it's the first, it was the round of 64 for their game against Akron, and like Bruce Pearl says, that's the toughest game to win in the tournament. But with the way that North Carolina was playing against Baylor for the majority of that game, I mean, it's like, how do you pick against Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels like, right mm-hmm. now? Like, I mean, they were just on fire. They were playing together. They were playing tough. I like the Tar Heels. Um, I don't think this UCLA team is as good as they were last year to end the season. Um, they... At, points during the season they could have been as good, but um, I, I I like North Carolina in this matchup, so give me the Tar Heels to move on to the Elite Eight. Um, Purdue, the three seed, facing against America's team, the St. Peter's Peacocks. The last time we might ever say that on this show. I, I, I'm so sad that I had to do it because, man, I... You should have seen how happy I was. I was at the base. I was at uh, Auburn baseball against Ole Miss when this game was happening. I was hanging out in the booth with the Auburn Sports Network with Brad Law and Mark Fuller, and and I was I, I had stopped paying attention to the baseball game. I was facing the TV, watching St. Peter's beat Kentucky, and I was thinking, man, they need a three to pull this upset off. And right as I said it, that guy hit this first three of the game, and the announcers jinx. Yeah, it really was. So this is where the run. Yeah. Purdue has a 7-4 guy. Cinderella's don't usually make it past the the Sweet 16, so I agree. If they win tomorrow night, I mean, good Lord Almighty. I mean, push all the chips to the middle of the table. Peacock. Um, So then the question evolves to, out of this region, who do you have in the Final Four? Yeah, I'm going to pick uh, Purdue. I think Purdue is a well-rounded team. They've got the offense as well. Mm -hmm. I like Purdue as well. I think North Carolina makes it to the Elite Eight, but... Um, I think Purdue consistently this year has just shown in many different phases of the game that they're a lot better team. Moving on to the South region on the other side of the bracket, and San Antonio is where Arizona and Houston will face off a one versus five. Arizona one seed, the Pac-12 champions, um, coming out with a win against number or the nine seed TCU by five, and Arizona or I'm sorry Houston, um, who not only dominated a, a good and hot UAB team, but Handled a co-Big Ten champion pretty well. I mean, 
Does Houston have a path to the to New Orleans right now? They absolutely do. What sucks for them is they have to play the best remaining team in the tournament, in my opinion. I think Arizona is the best remaining team. Even though I picked Texas Tech in the national championship, I still I just think they match up. I think Texas Tech matches up well at Arizona, but I think Arizona is just too good for uh, 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 for them to win. So I really like Arizona in this matchup, even though Houston is severely underseeded. Just I, look at all the metrics. Yeah, I, I think this is the second one seed to go down. As much as I hate to say because I was high on Arizona coming into the tournament. I had them winning this region. But Houston, I know it was UAB, and I was like, okay, like, you know, that's an Andy Kennedy Conference USA champion team. But seeing the way that they played Illinois and handled a Kofi Cockburn when they were severely undersized and just the speed and athleticism they play with, they play with no fear. Um, I like them, the Houston Redemption uh, John Rothstein at spreads. I'm a ride with him as well. <laughs> so I like Houston. Um, I, I think they make it to the Elite Eight. Villanova and 11 seed Michigan, a Michigan team. How um, are they here? How? Well, I, I'll I'll tell you how they're here. Um, they, thanks, May. Yeah, they beat Colorado State the six seed, 75-63. Like, okay, six eleven upset, no big deal. And then beat probably the hottest team in the tournament at the time, Tennessee. Um, and they're moving on to the Sweet 16. Does does Villanova and Jay Wright continue to play good basketball, or does a white-hot Michigan team win? I'm due to get one right against Michigan, right? It's this one. It's this one. Villanova, an experienced team, Colin Gillespie, you got Jay Wright. They're not losing to Michigan. No, I don't. I agree. I, You know, some teams have that magic, like Auburn did in the Final Four year, but they weren't 11. They weren't a team who people were considering to be out of the tournament when the tournament time came I mean Auburn was a bubble team at one point but they kind of solidified it and then well, they won yeah, the tournament. They, they won like 10 games in a row to end the year something yeah, like that yeah um and you know I, I I like Villanova too for all the points you make experienced team in my opinion the best coach in college basketball besides coach K Jay Wright I yeah. mean it, Jay Wright knows how to get it done this month who makes it out of the South region and heads to New Orleans? This stuff, I'm going chalk. It's going to be Arizona Villanova in the lead eight, but I like Zona, the best team remaining in the tournament. Yeah, I think Air, or I think Houston and Villanova face off. I think Houston's, like, the way that they are just playing right now, man, they go back to the Final Four. I really um, I really believe so. Well, here's the thing. You look at it, yeah, a five seed's going to make it from somewhere. Might as well be them. Yeah, I mean, the way they've played, I like them. And then finally, before the break, Midwest region, Kansas and Providence. A Providence, a four seed playing good ball right now. Uh, do they stand a chance against the Big 12 champs? No. Kansas is going to run them out of the gym. I don't see this game being close whatsoever. I think Providence probably should have probably should have lost already. But, hey, they're, they're this far. Congrats to them. I just don't see uh, this team really. I mean, they, they got to play a 12 and a 13 seed. Yeah, I, I like the way Bill Self's team's playing right now. Um, they played really well against Texas Southern. That's a Creighton team who, with Trey Alexander and the rest of that. Remember that name. <laughs> yeah, the rest of that squad. If you watch the round of 32 game, I mean, they kind of swung with every punch they had left in their in their bag and gave them everything they had and fought with heart. Um, and, and to win a game like that is, a, is very convincing to watch as a college basketball fan. So I like Kansas. I think they beat Providence. And really quick, the 11 versus 10 matchup, Iowa State and Miami, 11 versus 10. Um, which one of these lower seeds stays hot, Jake? Yeah, I'm just going to pick the team that beat Auburn, Miami. I don't want to talk about it. Come on. You don't want to talk about it? No. Well. Kansas in the final four. Well, I, I, I'm going to go with Miami as well. The way their defense played against Auburn, it's a little more convincing than Iowa State for me. Um, out of the Midwest, who do you have in the final four? I've got Kansas. Kansas. Me as well. Well, 
That's going to do it for this segment on the scoreboard. This time next week, we'll be talking about the National Championship and Final Four, as that is next weekend. On the other side of this break, Jacob and I will be back to talk about the NBA. Do not go anywhere. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman live, Wiggle 91.1. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Wiggle 91.1 FM. You can find more Wiggle content at WiggleFM.com or on social media at Wiggle underscore AU. This is the scoreboard 91.1 WEGLFM. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman, as always, if you want to call in, 334-844-9345, 334-844-9345 to be a part of the NBA discussion. If you are reminiscing on the Auburn basketball season or you're still invested in March Madness and the Sweet 16 and beyond, you can go back and listen to the first two segments of today's show wherever you may find your podcast. It will be uploaded after today's show. The NBA. Uh, so <laughs> we were just talking in the break about where to start with the NBA. Ooh. And... Um, I- I'll let Jacob kind of take the reins because there's a lot of things we're gonna we're gonna touch on real quick. So the Golden State Warriors, they went to Miami last night without Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Should be an easy W for one of the top teams in in the East, right? right? Yeah. Well, right. I, mm, no. No. Golden State goes on to win by 14, but that's not the storyline coming out of South Beach. It is the argument on the bench between head coach Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam and Jimmy Butler. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you had to save the best yeah. name for last. Oh, yeah. That kind of stems where it all comes from right there. A bit of a uh, disagreement happening during a timeout led to Haslam. I mean, I don't want to say it threat, threatening, but not like that. Uh, threatening Butler, and they're going back and forth. And then Spolstra gets into it with them. Yeah. Saying, no, I'm not going to fight you. What are, to, to Jimmy Butler. To Jimmy Butler. And, man. I mean, I don't think I've seen much, many things like that, especially with an experienced coach like Eric Spolster, the second longest tenure coach in the NBA behind the guy who has the most wins in NBA history. That is just unheard of, but it yeah. is the NBA, this league. I, th- I think the, well, for one, I'm going to give props to Eric Spolster because a lot of coaches in that, se- in that situation would be spineless and just kind of back down, not do anything, just let it do whatever. He's not afraid to stand up and say something to a star player, to Jimmy Butler, an all-star, who took him to the finals two years ago. Yeah. I mean, he's not afraid to say anything to him. I mean, we all know Jimmy Butler and where he kind of stems from, from the times that he was in Minnesota and then to Philadelphia and all the drama he brought to the locker room. And it's just because he's such a competitor. And he's not afraid to call anybody out. A lot of people take – they kind of take some – take that with a grain of salt. Um and 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 it pisses some people off. So um, I don't know what the argument was over with him and Udonis yeah, Haslam. I mean, it, sure. it doesn't really matter. But that's that's not something that should be happening in the middle of a game. I think Haslam might have just simply been backing up Spolstra. Probably he's he's been there for as long as Spolstra's been there, pretty much. And yeah, I really think that he was just backing up his his coach for that's been his coach for however over a decade. Yeah, and he didn't like what Butler was saying. Yeah, and that's and that's something too. Is I mean you. If you look at the replies on Twitter, half of them say something to this extent, but it's like they're paying Udonis Haslam like so-and-so amount of dollars yeah. a year to, do, to sit on the bench and do this. Um, but anyways, it's just for me, it's just it continues to show what kind of teammate Jimmy Butler is. We, we, we know he loves winning. Uh, he's got Kyle Lowry now. He has the pieces for another championship run, especially with the way the East has been played this year. But you can't have that going on in the middle of a game for one of the top teams in the East, bottom line. Well, you mentioned Lowry. Post-game, he said that was just passion. Yeah, uh, and, I'm, and I'm sure it is. We're going to see moving forward 
as the Heat are first place in the East by a game and a half over the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Celtics. One last comment I'll make on that was, did you see the quote Spolcher had postgame? I did not. So, well, a reporter, somebody asked him something like, like, what was that about? And he said he was being real lighthearted. He was like, oh, everybody was just trying to figure out where we're going to eat dinner after the game. <laughs> so. well, I mean, hey, no, that can cause some of the biggest arguments that, that I've seen. So. <laughs> That was against the Golden State team that had lost three in a row and got its first win without its three stars. And the stars for the Warriors last night were Jordan Poole dropping 30 points, and three other guys dropped 22 points. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, and then off the bench, Damian Lee. So it was a big night for the Warriors to really bounce back after. There were some question marks about them when there really shouldn't have been. Yeah, But that really is the kind of the state right now. What What's going on? in these division standings, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all right, we, we've got some exciting finishes to this regular season, more so than we've seen in the past. Yeah, and and a comment I want to make on the Warriors is, I, I mean, if you've been listening to the show since NBA season has started, it was kind of like, man, the way the Warriors have started this season out, I mean, they're one of the last few teams with only single-digit losses. Like, they are red hot, and they don't even have clay. Um, Draymond was in and out at the beginning of the season a little bit, and – and they were still on fire. And now, I mean, they're 500 in their last 10. It's, I mean, granted, they're still three in the West, but I mean, I, my point being, I feel like it's going to be something like closer to playoff time that they might figure out and probably get a little bit hotter, um, especially with the playoffs looming. I mean, I went, they're just next month when you think about it. Just a few weeks, yeah. So I, that's going to be something for me personally out of the West to watch. I agree. Considering one team out of the West has already clinched the playoff spot being the Suns. I mean, and no one is catching the Suns. No. Suns are the they're going to be the one seed unless they just lose the rest of their games and the Grizzlies decide to win the rest of theirs. Speaking uh, of which, games back. can we that? touch on the Suns-Timberwolves game from the other night? Go for it. So, first of all, what a game that was. Yeah. Just a fun, passionate, high scoring. Um, and I really liked the, the jawing I saw in that game. That was cool. Devin yeah. Booker had a great game. He was jawing with fans. I don't know if you've seen those videos. Yeah. Can't really describe those. Can't but, repeat them, but yeah. And then you had Jay Crowder, him and Kat right. going at Gosh. it. I mean, these these teams were playing with a lot of fight and a lot of passion. And, I mean, this is a this is a Timberwolves team. I mean, they're, are they even? They're, they're seventh in the West. They're yeah. 42 and 32. I mean, they're seven and three in their last 10. So, I mean, they're in the playoff picture. And they could even get out of a play-in picture. Yeah, yeah. They could move into the playoffs without having to deal with with playing the New Orleans Pelicans in a do or die game, so that was just a that was a fun game in my opinion. I mean, the Suns ended up winning; um, they're on a six game win streak. They're pretty hot right now, but that was a game in my opinion that honestly felt like a playoff basketball game. And that kind of alludes to what we talked about uh, a couple shows ago with the playoffs coming up. Is it, it really seems like, or in, in retrospect about the NBA playoffs compared to other uh, yeah. sports playoffs, and how in recent years the NBA's playoffs have been they've gotten better. And better. They've delivered. Uh, obviously with the Warriors and all these powerhouse teams being out of the championship and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> but my point being, that was just a fun game to watch. Well, another storyline that is dominating the headlines is the scoring title. Yes. This is a close, close scoring title right now. LeBron James leads it at 30 points per game, 30.0 points per game. Right behind him, Joel Embiid, 29.8 points per game. And in third place, Giannis Antetokounmpo with 29.7 points per game. Any well, I mean, of these three guys can win it. And even four and five. Trey Young's at yeah. 28.1, and Luka Doncic's at 27.9. So, I mean. Ah, it feels good with Trey Young on top. 
in reference to Luca. Yeah, yeah, make, yeah. Make sure that trade was worth it. Uh-huh. Um, sure. But, yeah, I like the point you make. I mean, this is kind of up for anybody's grabs, and the interesting part about this is, I mean, LeBron's in year, what, 18, 19? I mean. That's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. With the, and especially and with the season that they've had. And he's on a terrible team. Yeah, with the season they've had, I mean, bring him home. Bring him home to Cleveland. Oh, wouldn't they love that? Well, I wouldn't because Isaac Okoro probably wouldn't play. That's a good point. But then he could learn behind. <laughs> and become the, the next goat. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, tonight in action will be Giannis, unless he's just sitting out uh, tonight for some reason, which is possible. Uh, actually, yes, he is. He is sitting out tonight. So no Giannis tonight against the Wizards, but uh, the Bucks will be playing there. And then your your big games tonight, there will no – actually, I, I forget. I, you know what I hate about March Madness is, like, Kills the NBA for a few, it, for a few weeks. It does, but in hindsight, it's it's worth it. Yeah, for it, sure. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a. It's just I went on I went on the NBA scores and was like, all right, what are your TNT games tonight? I was like, there are none because it, you it's got a good March. refresher. I feel like that's true. I mean, I you, you kind of want to get away from, especially after the All Star break. Um, yeah. One one other thing too. This is also big for uh, all parties involved. Uh, or. I guess this is kind of important for every team, uh, especially the ones that reside in New York. But <laughs> Brooklyn Nets at eighth in the East. Um, they're only nine games back out of first, which, again, not too far back. But now Kyrie Irving is allowed to play at home games. Yep. Um, I know that's something that they've been missing, and uh, that's because the the mayor of New York, I believe he lifted the mandate for uh, – uh, It was a sector uh, requirement. It was, it was athletes and performers, I believe, yeah. is what he, or what the thing was. But – Regardless, meaning that Kyrie Irving now can play at home while being unvaccinated, which is big for the Nets because they do not only have to wait for him to play outside of New York. Um, so that could potentially be big for them getting back into the East race and getting at the top of the East as we close out the regular season. And especially when they get into the playoffs. Yeah. Because if you're the Nets and you are not in that home court uh, advantage position to host playoff series, you're going to have to win your home games. You're I mean, going to have to win those. I mean, look at the game against Dallas last week when – KD and Luca were going back and forth, and then um, Brooklyn loses on a buzzer beater. I mean, I know that's not necessarily a playoff game with the conferences, but my point being, if Kyrie's in that game, I mean, they they possibly win. Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't hit that three pointer. True. Win. So I mean, point being, it's it's huge for Kyrie to be back at home games. Keep an eye out on them and see how they finish out the regular season. I read the plan is for him to return to to home on Sunday against the Charlotte Hornets, and then that's a th- that starts that's the start of a three game. Homestand against the Pistons and the Bucks. They go back on the road to Atlanta, host Houston, go to MSG, host Cleveland, and then host the Pacers to end the season. So you've got a lot of home games to win. I, I think I really think the Nets could probably win the rest of their games. Now, of course, the games against Milwaukee at Atlanta and even at New York and hosting Cleveland are going to be difficult, but you never know what could happen. One quick note that I want to make uh, before we go to break about the East especially is – a team that we were really high on, the Chicago Bulls. I saw a stat. I don't know if it was ESPN or who, but somebody posted a stat that they're like 0-16 against like the top so many teams in the NBA. I forgot what the exact number is, but they're five in the East right now. They were first a few weeks ago yeah, when we were talking about them. So. Maybe, not, maybe don't bet on them during the playoffs. Probably not. Is my point. <laughs> on the other side of the break, Jacob and I will break down Auburn baseball and Auburn softball as we close out today's episode of The Scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM.
Thank you for tuning in to The Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find The Scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome back into The Scoreboard. Final 15 minutes here on this beautiful Thursday afternoon, early evening. Maybe you're on your way back home. But I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks as we get ready for a weekend of Auburn baseball, Auburn softball. Both will be on the road this upcoming weekend. But if you're in Auburn still, Equestrian hosting the SEC Championships tomorrow at 3 o'clock against Georgia. Then again on Saturday, schedule will obviously depend on who wins their matches tomorrow. And then uh, women's tennis, a top 10 women's tennis team will be playing at the Yarrow Tennis Center against Arkansas and then Vanderbilt. So on the Plains, go check those two uh, events out. But while you're sitting on your couch, you can watch Auburn play at Texas A&M this weekend. Starters this weekend are tomorrow Hayden Mullins and then Saturday Trace Bright to be announced for Sunday, which gives me hope that Joseph Gonzalez can be ready for that Sunday start. But other than that, this Tigers offense is rolling after losing the series to Ole Miss, but it didn't look as bad as you thought it could have looked. Yeah, and, and besides the offense, obviously, in Game 2 with 19 runs and 15 hits, um, for me, the one of the bigger bright spots out of the series was Hayden Mullins, like you just mentioned, Jacob. Hayden starting Game 2, the game that Auburn did win. Um, looking at his stat line, Hayden pitched five complete innings, only gives up two hits and one earned run, gets three strikeouts, um, and only throws 88 pitches. So solid outing from uh, the junior. Um, I guess he's technically a redshirt sophomore. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, uh, great outing by Hayden. I think that was a huge confidence booster for him. Um, I think it's something that as SEC play rolls on, I think it's going to be something that he can really rely on that experience and, and that confidence that he gained from this past weekend. And I think it could be a key for Auburn's rotation moving forward because that's been the weak point of Auburn's team so far has been the pitching staff. And here's the thing. You've got two starters locked in right now. Trace Bright and Joseph Gonzalez are locked in as starters. Obviously, Gonzalez is hurt dealing with a blister on his finger. As a pitcher, that's not easy to deal with. It's not that simple to fix that. you got to let that thing heal, and he's doing that. So that's why I hope that he's ready for Sunday, but I don't know if he will be. But that third spot is up for grabs. You've seen a lot of different guys in the third starting spot, Mason Barnett, Tommy Sheehan, Jordan Armstrong. It was Jordan Armstrong, yeah. Yeah, we, we don't know. But if Mullins has another good outing tomorrow, I could see him really fitting into that role. He wouldn't be on Friday. I mean, you never know, actually. He could still be on Friday, but I think they'd like to put him in the middle. Gonzalez on Friday, Mullins on Saturday, and, Trace and then on Trace on Sunday. Because they love Trace on Sunday, and Gonzalez has been your best pitcher. And then you just throw Hayden in the middle to throw him off a little bit because you got two tall righties against a very uh, a, a, a lefty that's smaller and more compact. It's a different delivery motion. And and Trace, I mean, despite getting the loss on Sunday, or on Saturday, excuse me, I mean, throws four and a third. Um, he gave up six runs, but only three of them were earned. He sits down five. Um, he faced 21 batters. I mean, it wasn't that bad of an outing compared to what the box score tells you. And and we've seen from his times on the plane or his time on the planes that Trace is capable of being a reliable and solid pitcher, especially in that Sunday role. I would say borderline dominant. Not quite there yet, but he has a chance to be dominant in the way he pitches. I mean, there'll be games where he, he five shutout innings. Whoa, where did this come from? And it's not like he's striking out 10 guys in those five innings, but... He's getting the ball on the ground or in the air. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's very easy for him to to really just groove through 
uh, a lineup at times. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he doesn't, but whenever he's grooving and feeling good, he's really good. Turn the attention to the offense. Third in the SEC and 17th in the country with a 316 team average. I love that. I absolutely love that because this offense has to be consistent when the pitching is being inconsistent. I think Gabe Gross said it the best on Tuesday night. He said uh, that the batters, if the pitchers give them uh, a shutout, their goal is to score at least one run. If the pitchers give up 12 runs like they did on uh, on Tuesday, their goal is to score at least 13, and they did that. So having this offense be able to generate hits, generate runs, especially with a guy like Sonny Deshera, He's the only player in the NCAA to rank in the top five in average on base percentage and slugging. Yeah, Sonny Sonny's been uh raking. I, I believe it was to say the least. Was it Friday night's game where uh he hit the home run in his first at bat and then the second at bat they just went ahead and just Yeah, they walked him. yeah. It might have been I think it might have been Thursday. I think it might have been the first okay. game of the series. Besides the point, yeah. That that home run that he hit was dead center, no doubt about it. And that was also his second game back from injury. He did not miss a beat. He had not swung a bat in two weeks. And he comes back and is just dominating still. It's just, it's just natural with Sonny. Uh, the swing, being at first, I mean, it, he, he's been the solid point for Auburn. And, and, and like you said, Jacob, I mean, it's not just within Auburn and the SEC. He's one of, if not the most dominant hitters in the country. He, he's up there. I mean, he, he is tied for third among active players with 48 career home runs. He... We'll probably get home run fifty this weekend. I, I mean, him hitting two home runs in a weekend is just kind of, yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially the way this Auburn offense is swinging. Uh, I've been talking about Blake Ramish. I'm gonna keep hyping him up. Eleven game hitting streak, twenty two for forty five with thirteen runs, five doubles, one triple, one home run, and thirteen runs batting batted in during the span. Yeah, and and for me, uh, it, and this is a little off topic, but a Blake Rambush, he's been hitting well, and that's important for Auburn, but. B, the reason why bouncing back this weekend at Texas A&M is so important is because Texas A&M is a part of a gruesome road schedule you have coming up. I mean, at Texas A&M, who kind of gave it to LSU in the box last weekend, uh, Jacksonville State, which is a solid midweek game, at LSU, who's ranked seventh in the country, at UAB, who just beat Alabama, a good Conference USA team, hosting number two Vandy, hosting Sanford, who has had Auburn's number in the last few years, and then at Mississippi State with some more ranked matchups down the road in SEC play. So this is just absolutely imperative for Auburn baseball. I know that they started out with the number one team in the country, but But it is imperative for you to do well these next few series. That's exactly why it's such an important series. You're on the road two straight weeks. I mean, you're just not coming home for a while other than that midweek against Jacksonville State. Who's still a good team. Yeah, a a great team at that. And I really think that getting a win this weekend, a series win, would just change the whole outlook of this team. And and again, let's let's make ourselves clear here. The area of improvement is not several different areas on this team right now. At the current moment, on March 24, 2022, it is the pitching. Mm -hmm. Auburn does not have the pitching to to continue to be stable enough in the SEC to make any kind of run right now or, or to finish highly in the SEC. I, I agree. Uh, offensively, I mean, absolutely. Auburn's got one of the top SEC offenses, I would say. They can compete with the best of them. They competed with Ole Miss. I, I would say it's one through nine, too. Yeah, and it's there's no drop-off. I mean, if you give the Auburn pitching staff from 2018 or 2017 this offense, oh, man. 
This is a team that could potentially go to the College World Series final. It is. I'm just going to say it. And there is still time for the pitching staff to work things Absolutely. out. Absolutely. You've seen great things from Carson Skipper, from Blake Burkhalter, and other guys in the That's bullpen. a guy who's pitched really well, too. Yeah. Yeah. They just got to put it all together. Yeah, they do. It's that simple. And, and Tim Hudson, again, keeping the faith with Tim. It's only his second year on the Plains as a full-time head coach. Um, he's He's got the experience. He knows what he's doing. He's just got to get the guys to buy in and 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 get him to understand his game plan. Um, and we've seen the flash of that. Let's talk about the other bat and ball sport. Let's Softball, ranked 18th in the country. Hello. Should be higher. Yeah, I agree. They got a big series win, the second SEC series win of the season. After losing game one against South Carolina, they did it in walk-off fashion. Uh, walk-off home run by freshman Nelia Peralta. And that was after... A, a game one where she had four errors. She got moved to third base, stayed in the lineup, and she hit two home runs on Monday night. I mean, it was it was it was a storybook ending to that series, and I think Mickey Dean talked about it the best. They're just so fun to watch. It yeah. is a fun, gritty team to watch. They're always in it, no matter what. The team that could have won game one against of the kids, the Gamecocks, losing a heartbreaker at home in eleven innings, and they take the frustration out the next day and run rule an SEC opponent. Um, granted, like you said, Monday night was, again, another close game like Saturday was. Um, but that team has just got some togetherness about them, which you really need in softball early in the season just because it's so different compared to baseball and other sports um, that I think that camaraderie can take them a long way in league play, especially with as deep as SEC softball is. Some of Denver Bryant's bat flips have been unreal this year. They've been so fun to watch. and Can't wait to see more of them as they travel to Lexington against a number eight Kentucky softball team. Yeah. It's going to be cold up there. Not, I should say cold, colder than it is here. It'll be in the 50s, which is fine, but it's a little bit different. I think the long sleeves will be out and about in Lexington this weekend, uh, but really it's, it, it, it's a big one. It's, it's two straight SEC series again back-to-back that are going to be tough for Auburn against two East opponents at Kentucky and hosting the Florida Gators, who's always a challenge. Well, I think that's the big thing is the reason this weekend's so important is because you do come home against a team that – I don't know what they're going to do against Florida. And then you go to Arkansas, a team that has just risen from the ashes as far as SEC softball goes. So I am looking forward to this weekend with Auburn softball. But that's going to do it for Bay and I here on the scoreboard. We talked about Auburn basketball season. We talked about the Sweet 16, the NBA scoring race, and then the upcoming Auburn baseball and softball schedule. Thank you for tuning in. If you missed any part of the show, go find your podcast, and we will have it uploaded in a few minutes. Best can do it for myself and Bay Mars. Have a great weekend. This has been the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at four as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at WEGLFM.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at WEGL underscore AU.